Hello, and welcome to Someday We'll All Be Dead, a podcast where we talk about all the things with a social work perspective. I'm your host, Hallie Harris, and I am a hospice social worker. Today, we're going to discuss a day in the life of a hospice social worker. Social workers do many different jobs, including private therapy, they do substance use work, and they also do community resource and work with police departments being embedded. But in hospice, those jobs are kind of all combined. We're really focused on making sure that people that are at the end of their life have the best quality of life possible, and also that they have what they need during this time. We're also supporting not just the patient, but the family as well. And that starts with the initial assessment. When I meet a new patient, I go and uh, identify if they're able to communicate with me directly and if they have family members that are involved in their care and just identify who's involved in the whole system of care, who's the circle of support, where are they living, and do they need any extra support that they don't already have. So my initial assessment is just going to be to get to know the family, to let them know what my role is as the social worker on the team, and to identify any needs that they need and how quickly they might need them. Sometimes when families come on, they are doing pretty well and they have time to go through the processes of requesting that extra support. When they're coming on towards the end, we might not have time for that, so we might just have to see what we can do about the immediate needs and do the best we can as well as supporting the family or circle of support. Oftentimes when I first meet a family, I'm going to reiterate because they've been overwhelmed with a lot of information. I'm going to reiterate what the job of hospice and the plan of care is with the patient or family. So for instance, I might just review what the goals are, what's important to the patient, what's important to the family, and how we're going to best support them. We're going to identify um, needs and wants, but we're also going to make sure that they know that they are part of the plan of care. We don't come in and tell them what to do. We come in and make suggestions based on our expertise and experience, and we discuss with the family and the patient what is the best course of action for everybody's goals and, and what can we do, what's possible. When people are on hospice, they are in a variety of care settings. Some people are already in facilities, whether it's assisted living or skilled nursing or an adult family home. And some people are at home alone. Some other people are at home living with other family members or spouses. There have even been situations where a patient may be experiencing homelessness. That does not mean that we cannot provide hospice care. We absolutely can. We just have to have somewhere that we're able to meet them and that we'll be able to meet their needs or that um, we can meet them the best that we can according to the goals of the patient. So uh, that's one factor that we're looking at when we come in to do an assessment is to see what is the living situation and what might be potential um, concerns, safety concerns, or care needs that are going to happen down the road. Do we have what we need in place? Um, do people have a long-term care insurance policy? Are they wanting to stay home to pass? Are they wanting to go to a facility to pass? And has the patient chosen a healthcare power of attorney to make decisions for them in the event that they're no longer able to? You know, we can't assume these things. We have to ask and find out what are the goals and what's the plan. Uh, for example, if there are, as a patient with a spouse and they're both pretty elderly, 
and maybe the spouse has health concerns of their own and maybe the children live in another state or maybe they don't have children at all. Well, we need to determine are the children um, going to be able to come back and help? Is that even part of the plan? Or do they want to look at maybe hiring caregiving in or looking at going into some kind of assisted living situation? During the initial assessment, I'm also going to be looking at how the patient and circle of support are dealing with the decision to come on to hospice and how long they've been dealing with even knowing about the prognosis. Sometimes our families don't even get the prognosis until the day that their doctor says, and by the way, uh, you have six months or less to live and we think you should go on to hospice. Hospice is a scary word for a lot of people because there's a misconception that it means um, imminent, that it means someone's going to die within a few days and that we're going to just give them morphine until they die. Obviously, these are myths. These aren't true, but that doesn't mean that it's not scary. And it also doesn't mean that people haven't known other people or other family members that happen to have come on to hospice late and they did die in a day or two. So because these things do happen for a variety of reasons, um, it's still a scary word and people are still, unless they've had another different kind of experience with hospice, they may be very fearful just even of that word because they don't understand what it really means. So I like to reiterate that coming onto hospice means we can support you and we can provide all different kinds of things, not just medications, but non-pharmaceutical interventions to make sure that you have the best quality of life for as long as you have. And maybe that's only for a week and maybe it's for five months, who knows? So we just need to determine what are the needs and what are the goals of the patient and family. Once an assessment is complete, then uh, the number of visits are determined by each team member. Of course, the social worker is not the only person going into the home. We are part of an interdisciplinary team with the nurse, the spiritual care, and a care aide, as well as the hospice medical director or doctor. So it's a very much an interdisciplinary team. We need to make sure that we're all talking and working together. We each have individualized jobs, but that doesn't mean that we don't cross over a little bit because we want to make sure that the family knows, you know, when you first come on to hospice, even if you have experience with it before, you may not have experience with that particular hospice. And you want to make sure that the family understands certain things in particular, like the on-call system and that they're able to call us anytime, 24 hours a day. When they first come on, there's so many different people and so much information it's just impossible for them to remember everything. So there are certain things that we continue to tell the family. So each team member is going to talk about, hey, don't forget, you can call us anytime. That way, the important things, they make sure that they know off the top of their head. And there's other reading material and other information that's provided to them that they can read through when they have time. So as I was saying, once I get the assessment done, I will determine and each of the team members will determine how often that they need to see the patient. We do have some flexibility depending on how many patients we have at any given time and if anyone is having any kind of acuity or crises that we need to take care of. But in general, I start out uh, my families with one to two visits a month. That seems to be a pretty good starting point unless they are coming onto hospice very late in their progression. So um, I can always increase those visits as needed. I can throw in what we call a PRN visit or an as needed visit. 
If something comes up in between the visit times, my regularly scheduled visits, I can stop by and assess a new need or maybe have a counseling session for a family member that's having a little bit of a harder time. Maybe there's young children in the home and they need some extra attention or some information to talk about the developmental stages and how children at different ages deal with death. And so I may need to stop by and discuss that. So there's all kinds of reasons that I might have as needed or in between scheduled visits just because we're here for the patient and if that's what they need then I need to figure out a way to stop by or at least call and check in and get that information to them. During my routine visits there can be all different kinds of things that happen. So if I am visiting someone that's in a memory care unit for example I may have a little bit shorter visit or a longer visit depending on if I'm playing music for them or if they're able to interact. If they're a little more agitated, I might just be a shorter visit because I don't want to actually make their quality of life worse because I'm more of a stranger to them than the people that are caring for them in the facility or their family member. I may spend more time with the family member making sure that they're adjusting to the new care needs and possibly the decline of their family member. So those kind of visits can be a little bit shorter but not always. On a routine visit where it's a patient that's able to be interactive with me, I may just come and start with a check-in, especially an earlier visit, earlier on in the admission of hospice, if, if it's one of my first couple of visits after the assessment, then I may just be coming to check in and see how things are adjusting and if they're needing anything, if they've discovered any more questions since they've come on, and if they have what they need. Mostly I'm just building rapport at this point, as long as we still have time to do that. If it's been a couple of times, maybe it's been a month or so since they came on and I'm going to see them for a routine visit, then I might start delving a little bit deeper. You know, maybe they're really starting to be able to settle into hospice and experience of hospice, and now they're ready to have deeper conversations about um, what it means to be on hospice and making sure that they have their affairs in order or maybe they're afraid of the dying process. So um, both the spiritual counselor and the social worker are counselors on the team and depending on who has a good connection with the patient and or the family and also kind of what the subject matter is. So um, if it's existential then likely they're going to have a closer relationship with that spiritual counselor if they're involved and um, clearly if it's resource-based or if it's something that I can use a therapeutic technique like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or something like that we can certainly try that we do have some social workers where I work that are trained in EMDR which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing and that's for trauma in hospice there's a big move and really in healthcare across the board but it's particularly at the hospice I work at that we're focused on trauma-informed care and we want to make sure that we're treating all of our patients gently and just you know go ahead and assume that someone has had trauma in their life because we don't want to re-traumatize them make things worse for them so we're going to make sure that we treat everyone the same and with the same kindness and compassion and if they did actually have trauma and we do get to explore that with them Maybe there's something that we can help them with at the end of their life to make things just a little bit better. So now that you kind of have an idea of what the individual visits may look like, 
we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty of what does a full day of a hospice social worker look like. So certainly I'm going to start my day by checking all my emails. I want to make sure that I have no phone calls that I've missed or voicemails or urgent messages from other team members. I want to see if there's anyone that maybe passed away in the night that I didn't expect. That does happen on occasion. And I'm going to be checking to see if there's any new admissions that I need to follow up on. I'll check my notebook and see if there was people that maybe were traveling that I need to check up on and see if they're coming back into the area. And make sure that I'm staying ahead of any uh, things like travel contracts or following up with Medicaid, other follow-up calls to other agencies to see if I haven't heard back from them. So I'm constantly keeping a notebook to make sure that I'm on top of the things that I need to stay, for, stay on top of. There's no way I'm going to remember every need of 30 different people unless I write it down. So I'm going to do that first. I'm going to do the administration part first when I, when I start my computer. Then, um, depending on the day of the week, there may be a team meeting. We do have to review our plan of care and meet with each other every two weeks for every patient. So each week we have a meeting and it's on different days for different teams. And we review everything that's going on and we're looking forward to see what we can anticipate and what's important, keeping in mind what's important to the patient and family. So once I do that, I'm going to look at what I've already scheduled. Maybe I already have a visit that I called last week or the day before and people have agreed to a visit at a certain time. I'm also factoring in the drive time because we do go to people's homes and we go to people's facilities. So I need to factor in how long is it going to take me to get from home or the office to someone's house. I'm going to be estimating, depending on the type of visit, how long I'm going to be there. And then I need to schedule all the other visits of the day. And if I can do that in the morning, that's great. I really try to do that the day before in case there's a crisis. I try to leave at least one space during the day that I can fill because you never know. There's always going to be something that comes up whether it's an individual having a caregiving crisis or maybe they've decided to go on a trip and you need to spend some time in the office finding a travel hospice to do a travel contact with. So you want to make sure you leave that little bit of space for emergencies and acuity. Once my day is set, then I'm off. I head out to my first visit and I go from there. You know, sometimes when I get into a visit, we get into a deeper conversation than we planned and Sometimes that visit goes a little long. So, like I said, I do try to put that cushion room in between each visit. I also need time to do the charting for each visit, so that helps um, help that cushion time for the next visit, make sure that I'm fairly on time. I don't want my families and patients to be waiting around for me, if at all possible, and I will call them in the event that I'm going to be late. But that way everybody can schedule their day around if they're still able to get up and out of the house and that's an important part of their quality of life, well, I want to make sure that they can do that. And me keeping on time and punctual as much as possible is important for their quality of life, for those people that can still get out. It's also important for the family members that want to be there for a visit, but they need to maybe go to the store for groceries or to pick up medication. So I want to make sure, again, that I'm as on time as possible and that I let them know ahead of time if I can when I'm going to be there so that I'm disrupting their daily life as little as possible while still being a support. So that's basically what happens in the day of a social worker. We're also communicating between team members 
it's possible that while I'm at a visit, a uh, patient is having a pain crisis and I need to get a hold of the nurse to let them know. Or maybe um, they just told me that they're afraid of what happens after they die and I need to make sure that I let the spiritual counselor know to either come out sooner than later or at their next visit to go ahead and explore that with them. Like I said, we're an interdisciplinary team and this means we all work together uh, for the best interest of the patient family. So we want to make sure that plan of care is solid and that we're all communicating with each other um, for important needs of the family and that they get the best holistic care possible. Our particular hospice has some really great allied therapies as well. And so each one of the team members can at any time put in other requests such as therapeutic massage, therapeutic music, and even pet visits. So those things just enhance quality of life. Um, that's what we're there for. That can happen with a social work visit, but it can also happen at a nurse visit or spiritual counselor visit. Some of the more specific things that us social workers can do in hospice is not only counseling, um, but as I alluded to, we can do the travel contracts with different hospices around the United States. And we just need to fill out some paperwork, give them a call, make sure that they are Medicare certified and that they can accept a travel patient. We can also do veterans benefits applications with our patients. We can help them through that process. We can help them navigate other community resources such as Meals on Wheels or uh, Medicaid. We have the COPES program which involves in-home caregiving. We can help navigate that as well. Unfortunately, some of these things are not as quick as we would like them to be, even if they're a little more urgent because the patient is on hospice. All of these caregiving agencies are still government or local agencies, and so they're not built to necessarily be a crisis agency, but we may be able to put the request in urgently and get it moving a little bit faster just because of um, what we can do. Social workers are also going to be setting up respite plans. So if a caregiver is starting to get burnout in the home and the patient is willing, then we can set up a five-day stay at a skilled nursing facility for them. Um, not always the funnest place, you know. Most people want to stay where they are at home. But uh, sometimes the caregiver just needs a break or maybe they have to be out of town for something else and they don't have another choice and the patient needs that caregiving every day for their medication or being able to get up to go to the bathroom or anything like that. So this is a supplemental plan. It is paid for by Medicare or the hospice benefit of an insurance program as a respite stay. Um, we can't do them back to back, but it is something else that the social workers work on. So hopefully you have a little bit better idea of what social workers do on the hospice team. Mainly, as I said, it's counseling and then that is for the patient and any family members or circle of support. And we can help you navigate through any kind of community resources that you need. If it's something that we don't have access to or don't know about, we can certainly reach out and help you find the resource that you need. And we're pretty familiar with the local resources, so we can get you those information, private caregiving lists, and um, all kinds of different things. Sometimes even help people navigate finding electric scooters and other random requests. So hopefully now you have a little bit better idea of what social workers do every day and what a visit from a social worker might look like for you. If you have any questions about what social workers do, you can always ask the social worker themselves. You can call hospice and ask the referral center. 
you can ask another team member if you're on hospice or your, your family members on hospice so we always encourage questions we never want someone to be worried about who's going to do what or who can i ask about certain things if you're not sure ask any one of the team members and they will direct you to the one that is in charge of whatever you need again we're all part of an interdisciplinary team and we're trying to make your family member or your quality of life the best that we possibly can for as long as you're on service. So now you know what a hospice social worker does every day. Hopefully this makes it a little more comfortable and easy as we've discussed in previous episodes what specifically hospice is and what social workers do. Both of those can be scary if you haven't had any experience with them. So if you've stuck with me this far, then hopefully that means you like the podcast. I would love, love, love uh, so much and be so grateful if you could take the time to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using. To rate and review us would be amazing as well. You can always find us on Twitter at SomedayDeadPC. You can find us on Facebook at SomedayWillAllBeDead. You can email me at SomedayDeadPC at Google.com. So please let me know if you have any other questions, if there's subject matters that you want me to cover. I am, like I said before, getting ready to do a couple bigger episodes, and I would love more feedback from the listeners. So I just want to put a quick note in here as well that, you know, there will be some weeks since I don't do seasons. I try to put something out every single week. Um, But once in a while, there's going to be a week where life gets in the way. So I do apologize for that, and hopefully you're able to go back and listen to uh, a different episode in the meantime. So please take care and, uh, you know, look into things in case you need them in the future. Get a health care power of attorney. I know I've harped on that before, but you never know. You know, all of us are going to get there and someday we'll all be dead. <laughs>